0: Excellent. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, turn with me as I turn there to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. You say, well, what verse? The entire chapter. This morning. Today's message is a continuation of a series in the book of Mark. Mark. We call it um, quotation marks. Um, And today we're gonna look at the words spoken during the time of the crucifixion. Really, the sermon's entitled, The Remarks from the Last Moments of the Messiah. Remarks from the Last Moments of the Messiah. Mark chapter 15. As we begin, let me give you some quotes and see who in here is cultured. Who in here is paying attention? So I will give you the first half of the quote. If you think you might know it, you can finish that quote. We have people that listen via podcast and online, so make sure you yell out very loudly that they can hear that you are the winner. To this, Edmund Burke once said, "The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing." Excellent. For that quote has stuck with me for my entire life. For good men to do nothing. May we do something. May we, the people of God, do something. This quote, I'm not going to tell you who it's by, I'll let you figure that out later. It said this way God helps those. It was not Jesus. Some of you are thinking, Mark, I know it. That's Ben Franklin. In an almanac, God helps those who help themselves. Abraham Lincoln, a famous quote, and this is, this is a great quote to live by. He says, you can fool some of the people all of the time and all of the people some of the time, but you cannot fool... All of the people all the time. Abraham Lincoln. And then another wise man once said this What is in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name, the smell as sweet. William Shakespeare said that. For many of you, you learned those in grade school or junior high years, decades, millennia ago. And, and they've stuck with you. for Some of this in, in school, I remember these things and, and they've carried me even to this point today. Why? Because quotes and remarks that are important and pithy and make truth in our lives stay with us. So for that reason, we're gonna look. Have you ever just taken the passion narrative, the crucifixion narrative, and looked at what was said in the book of Mark? That's what we're gonna do today. The last remarks during... The crucifixion. So with that, let's read Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse one. Beginning in verse one. We're gonna read the first two verses this morning. As soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to pilate and pilate asked him are you the king of the jews it's an important question are you the king of the jews more than 5 times that question or that theme reoccurs in this chapter are you king of the jews and jesus answered pilate you have said so and the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer. So Pilate was amazed. Pilate was amazed. Let's pray, Father. We have no hope of understanding eternal truth. Other than the illumination of the Holy Spirit who has inspired these words. Lord, we ask you this morning that you would open our ears, open the eyes of the blind, Lord, open the calloused hearts that we represent, that we might hear your truth, that we might rejoice because we have found mercy, that we might weep because the Messiah was crucified. But Lord, let us not merely be sorry but may we find salvation as we look to the Savior. Well, for those right now that do not believe, give them the faith by grace alone in Christ alone to believe. Redeem them, save them, and draw them to yourself right now. In this moment, we pray. Amen. And amen. So as we look at the words of Pilate and the words of others during the crucifixion, we, we, we were immediately encountering this first phrase by a man named Pilate. And so we begin, the first question we have is, are you king of the Jews? It's asked by a man named Pilate. And I've already mentioned it, it occurs at least five times in this chapter. Sometimes it's a question, other times it's mockery. But something is going on here, and, and the crux of what Mark is pointing us to is, do you believe that Jesus is king? That's something that you have to wrestle with. That's something that I have to wrestle with this morning. Pilate was a man of influence. You say, well, who is this Pilate? Did he, did he drive airplanes? No, not that Pilate. He, he had a coastal house in Caesarea Maritima, and he was an, of the equestrian class. Some would call him, you might even call him a knight, not with the medieval armor knight. But he was a landowner, but he was not an aristocrat, somewhere in the between. So upper management, middle class. And for these knights, the Roman authorities would put these men in places of turmoil, places where they thought insurrection would happen. So that's Pilate. He was a, a man of notoriety, a man of some substance, but historians, especially Josephus and Philo, say that he was a very cruel man, a difficult man. He was known to be swift with the sword. And so he was not a man easily manipulated. So don't think that Pilate is a pushover as we read through the rest of this chapter. So they bring Jesus to Pilate, he said, well, this is in Jerusalem. So how does Pilate get from the coast to Jerusalem when there would be swells of population in Jerusalem? Everyone from the peripheral, all of the politicians and all the authorities would come to Jerusalem to keep peace. So this is the time of the Passover. Pilate is most likely staying in Herod's palace because he is in charge of keeping peace. And the religious leaders bring Jesus to Pilate." Pilate is not a religious leader. He said, Well, why does that matter? Because they're having to brief Pilate on religious concerns. And so when Pilate asks this very clear question Are you king of the Jews? it should make us pause. It's the first time that this phrase is used in the book of Mark, King of the Jews. And so we should read it and go, What does he mean, King of the Jews? What does he mean that he's king? Because on the lips of Pilate, that means something very different than it would be for the religious leaders. What does it mean that he is king of the Jews? Well, you see, when Pilate asked this odd question, I think it begs several applications in our life. Now you say, well, why is Pilate even in this narrative? It's interesting that Pilate, the name Pilate is used 12 times in this passage. We say, well, how many times is Jesus mentioned? Six times. Obviously, Pilate has a very substantial role in what is happening in the crucifixion. So the very first application we have in this question that Pilate asks is a political question. Because obviously, Pilate is a political authority vested by Rome to keep peace. And so, Pilate is asking this question of Jesus, where are you on the political spectrum? Do I need to watch out for you? What king are you? Jesus' response is very simply, what? Well, you say it. What an odd response to an odd question. But I think the application for us in present day for this political question is this. Pilate effectively asked, are you king over Caesar? Pilate is asking, Jesus, what political agenda do you have? Sadly today, many only want Jesus Christ to advance a political agenda. Let's, let's get real, right? Some in here are thinking, I know Jesus was leaning left. So should God, he's taking care of the poor and the widows. Of course, he leans left. Don't use Jesus to advance your political agenda. And others are saying, that's right. You tell him, pastor. Well, let's go to the right hands. Some think, well, Jesus obviously was conservative. Look how he, he paid his taxes. He found the fish and said, look, you give this, what, what image is on the coin? You give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God. Of course, he was right leaning. That's what Pilate is asking. Pilate's saying, Jesus, what political box do you fit into? And Jesus is saying, none, none. We would do well to heed that question, would we not? In modern day, we cannot put Jesus Christ into our neat political boxes to advance our agendas. I believe if Christ returned right now, he would be broken and sorrowful over what we call our political agendas in the name of Christianity. It's not. And you're not gonna win the world to Christ on social media, advancing your political agenda. We win the world to Christ by sharing the gospel, not our political leanings. And let me say, I am thankful for men and women of God who stand up in the political sphere and say, God has equipped me for this task to lead this country. Praise God for those people. Praise God for those people. But do not think that Jesus came to advance our political leanings or agendas. But this question is more than political. It's also spiritual. Look at the question again, are you king of the, the Jews? That's a very spiritual question. Pilate's saying, I'm not a Jew, but they are. So are you king over them? This is what Pilate is asking. He's asking, what jurisdiction do I have over you, Jesus? You see, Rome would never put to death a man for blasphemy against God. Because for the Roman, there were lots of gods. So if you blaspheme this God, well, you didn't blaspheme the other 99, so we're good. So Pilate is really asking the religious leaders, what role do I even have in this case? Pilate is asking a spiritual question. But what Pilate does not understand fully is, he's asking this, Jesus, what role do you have over spiritual matters? He's asking, Jesus, do you have authority over religious institutions? Jesus, do you have authority over what we call spirituality? And not only does Jesus not fit into our political paradigms and boxes, Jesus doesn't fit neatly into our spiritual paradigms or boxes we have these worship wars we say well obviously jesus wants you to worship this way did he tell you that because on the other end they're saying well you guys are too stuffy we worship jesus this way if you did it like this then jesus would accept you and i think for us this morning we need to look at the crucifixion and say jesus you don't fit into these boxes that we create Think about what Jesus says in Mark, the invitation for the disciples. He finds them fishing and his invitation is simply what? He didn't say fill out a card, walk an aisle, go to synagogue and and complete this catechism. He says, simply follow me. And at that point, I raise my hand and say, Jesus, before we follow, give us the rules. Give us the spiritual concerns. Let me know how to work myself up in your spiritual kingdom before I follow." And Jesus just simply says, follow. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And for religious people, which most of us are, we don't like that. We want Jesus to fit in our boxes as if the creator of the world would fit in an imaginary box that I have created. Jesus has authority over spiritual matters. He declares, I am the way. Jesus did not die to make us spiritual. He died to bring us forgiveness and make us right and righteous before God. Not only is this question political and spiritual; it's also a question of authority. Look again, Peter, Pilate asked in verse two, "Are you king of the Jews?" What does it mean to be king? Well, Webster's dictionary would define it this way: A king is Firstly, someone who has rule over an independent state. Rule, authority. Secondly, a king is that which is most treasured among all. So by asking, is Christ king? Pilate is asking this. Jesus, what authority do you have in my life? We would do well to ask that question today. You would do well to ask the same question. Jesus, what What role, what authority do you have in my life? Henry Blackaby said this about authority. Because if we're honest, this is where Westerners we struggle with. We we like to follow Christ as long as we're saved and as long as we go to heaven. But we don't want to follow Christ when we realize this. Listen to what Henry Blackaby says about authority. Jesus has a right to interrupt our life. He is Lord. When you accept him as Lord and give him the right, you gave him the right to help himself to your life anytime time he wants. Are you okay if Jesus interrupts your life right now? Are you okay? You say, well, no, I'm not okay. Well, is he Lord? Is he king of our lives? And maybe you need to check out at this point in the sermon and you need to start praying and saying, God, what in my life is off limits? God, if you take this away, God, if you add this, if you interrupt my life, this life that I have planned out, God, what am I not okay with? Because I need to answer the question, are you king over me? Not only does a king have absolute rule but a king is to be most treasured among all things. Listen to how John Piper defines this treasuring Christ among all else in our life. He says this, Christ did not die to forgive sinners who who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God and people who would be happy in heaven, if Christ were not there. Wow. If we don't want God above all things, we may have not been converted by the gospel. Is he king of your life? Do you treasure God among everything? If all you had were Jesus today, would you treasure that? And would you run to the throne and say, God, you are all I have, but that is enough? Is Christ King? I believe the reason that the world looks at Christians and says, we don't want that, because they see us treasuring everything else but Christ. They see through the sham. We tell them Christ is everything. God is sufficient. And they look at our life and they say, well, why don't you believe that? May our hearts be broken that we would treasure Christ, that he would interrupt our life. Verse three, Jesus says, you have said so. Verse three, the chief priest accused him of many things. We don't know what those things are, but they're many. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer. So Pilate was amazed. What is amazing about this is the question that Pilate answers, even in spite of being an enemy of the cross, is a confession of some sorts, isn't it? Even in the mouth of the enemies, he said, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus' response is, you have said it. Now in Greek, The emphasis is on you. So what Jesus is saying to Pilate, the question is, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you, you have said it. What is Jesus doing here? He's forcing a crisis of faith in Pilate's life. And Pilate, I believe he was born in 2018 because look what Pilate does. Pilate, in verse 4, asked him, do you not have any answer? Pilate is a man who doesn't like silence. Anyone related to that? Right? We live in a world where we cannot be still and know anything. I look at my life, I'm watching, um, I'm watching football yesterday and it makes me sad that football's almost over. And, and as I'm watching football, I'm on my phone distracted from the gang, which is distracting from my family. I'm like, what is going on here? We just can't be still. And I think today we... We struggle with spiritual white noise, don't we? We wanna be busy and and we don't really wanna think and contemplate the deep things of faith. We're okay saying Jesus is King of the Jews, but let's just end there, let's move on. Let's be busy, let me join the church, let me get baptized, let me do what I need to do and let's just get this life rolling. And we're like Pilate, we say, God, don't you have an answer? I don't like sitting, I don't like waiting. White noise. I believe that we want to live life naturally in a non-committed spiritual limbo of white noise. We want to be okay asking the question, God, are you who you say you are? But we don't want to commit to that. Deep down, we are all pilots. We don't like the silence of Christ and we want the, we want the answer of Christ, but we don't want the obedience of following Christ. We fit somewhere in this church cultural limbo of spiritual white noise. And so we want to be moral. We want to be spiritual, but we, won't, we don't want to follow Christ. Why would Jesus be silent? Well, we've already read as, as Isaiah 53 says. The silence the second time of Jesus Christ is unbroken in verse 5. Jesus made no further answer to the pleas of Pilate. At this crisis of faith, Isaiah 53 says that Jesus, speaking prophetically, messianically, Jesus was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. And do not confuse the silence of Christ. The silence of Christ is not the silence of defeat or dejection. The silence of Christ is a silence of surrender to the plan of God. It's not a silence of I give up, I can't do anything anyway. The silence of Christ is this is the plan of God to redeem sinners. This, the cross is the plan of God to bring people in rebellion back to a God who loves them. The plan of God was always the cross. And the silence of Christ was surrender to that plan. Crisis of faith. We see in verse 13, people who don't like silence again. Look what happens in verse 13. Verse 12, Pilate again asked them, what should I do with the man you call king of the Jews? In verse 13, the crowd Says this, they cried out again, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowds, mm, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified it is disconcerting to hear the jews cry out crucify crucify you say well why is that crucifixion was not it was so just a hideous ugly death it was not the normal standard process of judgment for the jew stoning hanging there were other methods to 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 judge blasphemers, beheading or even burning. And so ugly was crucifixion that that the Romans outlawed it at a later date. And yet this crowd is is crying out, crucify, crucify. Here's the irony. What has Jesus done? Pilate says, what evil has this man committed? What's the response? Crucify him, crucify him. The irony that, Here is a man with Jesus named Barabbas that was a murderer, a man who had led an insurrection against Rome, a man that because of his leadership, other Jews had died. Here was a man guilty of crucifixion. And the crowd wants Jesus. Think about that. The man who was worthy of the crime was let go. The man who was innocent was killed because of this crime. What man did this, what crime did this man commit? Did his silence justify the cross? Did The silence of Christ justify the cross. You see, we are the crowd. As we've already read, he was Pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for your sin, my sin. The punishment that brought you peace was upon him. Did the silence of Christ justify the cross? By no means. But your sin, my sin, justified the cross. When we personalize this, it makes it more difficult, doesn't it? When we say, well, is it Jesus died for the sins of the world, the murderers, the adulterers, the predators, the, the bad people. But Isaiah says that he was crushed for my sin. He was pierced for your transgression i was talking to a friend june i don't get to call her name out much in sermons and she was just we're talking about the sermon this morning before sunday school i know some of you some of you call it life group but for her and i it's sunday school and, and i told her i said miss june i was reading this this passage this weekend and just reading and, and weeping over it because you realize it's it's my sin It's your sin. His silence did not justify the cross. But your sin necessitated the cross. And at one point I put the Bible down and just thinking, Lord, you did this? You did this for me? He did this for you. Is he king of the Jews? The crowd chanted, crucify crucified the cross was not enough look in verse 29 with me we know that on the right and left they had criminals and they put above the cross again this this phrase that we've we've heard that's been echoing and ringing in our ears this morning Pilate asked are you king of the Jews and he, he Goes to the people and says, Do you want me to crucify the man that you call King of the Jews? And as they crucify him, most likely not on a hill far away. I know that's what the song says. But it was most likely um, for modern day, it was a billboard on I 20 in a major on ramp where everyone could see. And they put this sign above Christ, verse 28. Verse 26, the, cruc, the the inscription of the charge against him read, King of the Jews. In verse 29, those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in those days. Save yourself and come down from the cross the cross wasn't enough, mockery ensued later. And what they were saying was, ha, Jesus, who are you? It's it's a word in Greek that it doesn't translate well in English, but it's a word of vindictive sarcasm. Like, yeah, you are God, huh? You're the Messiah that's going to save the world. You can't even save yourself. Blasphemy, And how many times do we live in a way as if we, we live, we pray, say, God, you're a king and we live as if he can't save us. We say, well, I would never say that. I would never wag my head and shake my finger at Christ. I would never say this, but we live it. We live in a way as if Jesus is not enough. We live in a way as if Jesus is not all powerful. We are the mockers these are our people aha save yourself and come down as if the greatest aspect of life is self-preservation think about what they're asking they're saying god Jesus, we know the greatest thing in this life is for, for you to save yourself. Let's see if you're gonna do it. And Jesus says, no, I will give my life as a ransom for many. If you are a Christ follower, the greatest gain in your life is not self-preservation. It is self-sacrifice and obedience to the cross. It's obedience to the cross of Jesus Christ. To mock means to make something laughable or listen to this, inauthentic. How many times do we live inauthentic lives? We who carry the banner of God and yet with our lives we mock our Savior. It doesn't end there. We see the response. Verse 33. When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And I I can't get into that. It was not an eclipse. It was not a natural phenomenon. It was the judgment and wrath of God poured out in the world. And the sun said, I don't want anything to do with this. That's what happened. The world was groaning because of this event. And the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Now listen to this. Jesus is weak. He's been flogged. Flogging in the Roman world had several purposes. One, it was a, it was a leather whip with either glass or bone or rocks or metal shards. And you would whip a person. One, it was a chance to show that you're in authority. And show them that they are weak. Two, it was a way to weaken a person so they would die faster and many would we know that the Roman flogging was so torturous that many people would die before the cross and so Jesus is weakened condemned and he cries out listen to what scripture says he cries out in verse 34 with what voice? He, he doesn't whisper but he cries out with a loud voice Eloi, Eloi, lamach which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? From Psalm 22. I am a worm. My God, my God. Listen to the response of Jesus Christ. Jesus took upon himself the abandonment of the father so that you would never have to experience the abandonment of the father. Jesus Christ was forsaken by the heavenly father so that we would never have to be. That's the love of the savior. It's as if he said, God forsake me so that you will never forsake Josh. Josh. And you even hear in this cry, my God, my God, a sense of relationship and yet abandonment at the same time. And then we have the loud voice shouting that. You see, you whisper at impending death. You shout. Why? I've always wondered this. Why would you shout? Some of you were shouting yesterday when you were watching TV or when you were at a game. Why? Some of you were shouting at the refs. God will forgive you of that. They're people too. But most of you are shouting why? Yes! (laughs) Shouts are for victory. Why would Jesus shout on the cross with a loud voice? My God, my God, it is finished. And the response and the shout was so marvelous that it evokes the response of a centurion who was is, who is in charge of the crucifixion garrison. A man who has seen man after man after man die on the cross. Listen to how the, the, the centurion responds to the shout of Jesus Christ. Verse 38, after the curtain was torn in two, from top to bottom. Why? Because Jesus is a spiritual Messiah. Nothing is keeping you from the presence of God because of Jesus Christ. We we know the curtain was about 80 feet tall. I can't go into that, but that's that's good food for thought as we leave later. Verse 39, The centurion who stood facing him saw the way that he breathed his last. This man is in charge, of the, he's in charge of these hardened soldiers who kill people for a living, who have seen people die over and over and over again. And when this hardened Roman soldier sees Jesus shout out, look what the soldier says. He says, truly, this man is the son of God. This, listen to this church, this is the first human witness in Mark to describe Jesus as the Son of God and mean it. You wanna know the power of the cross, of seeing Jesus face to face? It can make men who have been hardened by the crucifixion look and say, this man is the Son of God. You see, Jesus on the cross forces all of us into a response. You can't look at the crucifixion and be unmoved. You might be hardened, but you don't just sit idly by. You can't stay in the the place of white noise. Jesus forces us to say, is he king or is he not? And so now we have to ask this, what is my response to the cross? You see, the centurion saw the crucifixion and how he died, and it changed his life. Listen to this. It's very key. It wasn't a miracle that the man saw. It wasn't a sign or a wonder. It was faith in Jesus and if you're waiting here right now and you say, God, if you would just do this for me, then I would believe. God says, I already have. Look to the cross. Jesus, if you would just take this away. God, you, I've been, I don't even believe in you, but I've been praying for this. God, if you would do this for me, then I would believe. And God says, look to the cross that a man would willingly die that many might come to glory. So I simply ask, what is your response? What is your response to the crucifixion? We know it doesn't end there, but we're gonna end there today. What is your response to the crucifixion? Let me, let me read how the book ends as we enter into, into to a time of response and invitation. One day this will happen, Revelation 20, verse 11 the end of the Bible, two chapters from the end. This is what Revelation 20 says. Listen to this, this is what John sees. I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Now remind me who sits on a throne. Are you king of the Jews? He is king. He is king whether you believe it or whether I believe it or not and he is sitting on his throne and one day this will happen for the whole world. Listen to this, Jesus sitting on the throne and maybe this should change how we approach Jesus Christ. John says that earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found in them and I saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead, and death and Hades gave up the dead and all that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. There is only one who sits on the throne. And there is only one who can write your name in the book of life. His name is Jesus. And maybe you are a Christ follower here this morning and you realize that you you are not okay with Jesus interrupting your life. You need to spend time right now on your face saying, God, I call you king, but I'm not living like it. God, interrupt my life this morning. Jesus, interrupt my life right now that I might see you as you truly are. Maybe you're a Christ follower and you're not treasuring Jesus like you should be. Yes, you like Jesus, but you like a lot of other things. And maybe you need to spend time in prayer during our time of response and say, God, help me treasure the only thing that is worth treasuring in the world. And that is you and your son, Jesus. May we treasure the thing that is worth treasuring. Maybe you're here right now and you realize that you are not written in the Lamb's book of life. Um, Let me say this, there's nothing you can do to get your name written in there. This church won't do it. This sermon won't do it. There's only one and he died on the cross to provide a way for you. And do not be fooled. He will come back as king and those whose names are not written by the blood of the lamb in the book of life will be cast away into eternal judgment. Not because God hates you, because you have hated him by your sin. And yet while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for me. He died for you. And so how can you come to faith this morning? Very simple. Are you willing to turn away from yourself? Are you willing right now to say, God, I can do nothing on my own and I want Jesus. Are you willing secondly to turn to Jesus Christ who went to the cross, whose blood atones and covers for your sin? And are you willing by faith and grace alone and Christ alone to declare today that I believe and I will live for Christ because he is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. If you do that, the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, the king will be saved. Pilate was not willing to do that. Pilate said, God, answer my questions. And Jesus says, I have on the cross. Will you put your faith in Jesus today? Right now. You don't have to walk in the aisle. You don't have to fill out a card. Right now, would you just simply bow your head and say, God, you have paid the price for me and you have bought me and I believe right in this moment. If that's you, he he promises he will save you. He will redeem you. He will wash you and forgive you of your sins. Church, let's pray.